Hello and welcome to the Saturday Night South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor O'Gara. Marler, we are calling today an emergency podcast because Tennessee has fired Jeremy Pruitt okay, with on. cause. First off, it's an emerging tea podcast. Mm, God, so there there you go. But go on. We are roughly 10 seconds into this and we already have a really solid Tennessee pun. Um, so we need to we need to, to set the pace with that. I only expect that to continue. Jeremy Pruitt is out of Tennessee after the result of an internal investigation into the recruiting violations. There are reportedly level one violations against Tennessee. And even though this has been kind of trending in that direction over the last couple of weeks, Still kind of a crazy big story that Jeremy Pruitt is out at Tennessee after three seasons. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think we talked about this like a while ago. And I, I told you, like, that's exactly what I had heard. Um, you know, and we hear stuff all the time. So, like, speculation is always, I don't know, like, like people are assumptive and you hear rumors and in this case you probably hear groomers and all that kind of stuff and uh you know i think the exact quote to me was if they can figure out a way to not have to pay his buyout they will fire him as soon as possible and you watch this this thing play out and that seems like to be exactly what happened and it so it's like less surprising especially because we've been talking about it for so long but it's still surprising because he made it through bowl season he made it through you know what you like for the most part recruiting season and like unscathed, he wasn't fired like at the same time when Muschamp was fired or, or even Derek Mason. So it is surprising from that standpoint, but I guess also not surprising considering, um, you know, people being unhappy with where the program was and on top of that having recruiting violations. I have yet to see a person, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I have yet to see a person who has come out and said Jeremy Pruitt was absolutely fired just as a result of recruiting violations and that and that in itself is the only reason that he is no longer the head coach at Tennessee this is different if he's eight and two seven and three yeah we're not having this conversation there's there's just no way like you're, you're exactly right in that Tennessee needed time to be able to conduct its internal investigation it wasn't like we we found out all of a sudden that the NCAA was conducting this investigation into Tennessee. Right. It was Tennessee doing an internal investigation, and they found apparently enough to warrant firing him with cause. We got the release that that stated that, and Tennessee is not going to have to pay that buyout, which $12.9 million at a time like now, and you can fire the entire staff, which... You know, include Brian Niedermeyer, a guy who was a really important recruiter for that staff. He's going to be fired as a result of this. And oh, by the way, Philip Fulmer <laughs> stepping down as athletic director. Like that's that was like the the footnote of this story. That 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 is in, in itself is so peak Tennessee that that could just kind of be the afterthought of oh yeah, you're you're without a head coach. You're going to have to hire a head coach for the fifth time in twelve years. By the way, Philip Fulmer, the guy who's probably meant more to Tennessee than anyone outside of Peyton Manning over the last, I don't know, 30 years, um, he's also going to be out of a job as well. But he's apparently not going to be out of a job as a result of the investigation, but he is just stepping down, which is totally independent of that. I believe it. Sure. Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, a good PR move from from Tennessee's standpoint in terms of, you know, he he should... I don't like Philip Fulmer from like a fan standpoint. Like you know, I think most fans that outside of Knoxville could probably agree or understand that because he was a great coach. He was a great coach and took that program to you know the highest of, of heights uh, that they'd seen in, in decades. And it's you know he was a fantastic coach and recruiter. Um, I I honestly kind of hate though that his legacy is is kind of been like I don't know like like re- reduced to this because. He already didn't get to go out on top as a coach when he was fired. Um, and ever since then, there's been so much turnover, so much turnover uh, at, at the head coach position. And so you, you kind of hate it for him, but I think ultimately it's the right decision. And it kind of seems like from the initial stuff we're hearing that Tennessee's handling it really well. So explain that. Explain handling it really well. Do you mean Tennessee fans like Vault Twitter? Oh, no, I, like- I, I haven't looked at Vault Twitter because I just assumed that was going to be a nightmare as it always is. Um, you don't hate yourself. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I, I mean, like from a standpoint of like you hear the chancellor, uh, she brought up, she said, we're going to move, we're going to run with integrity. 
which is a pretty bold statement um, and, and, and really kind of lays okay. out what, what happened, I think, with, with Pruitt. But the other part, you know, I don't – I realize those are just words, and it's the SEC, and people are – Tennessee's not the only only program that is, is you know – they're the only program right now under investigation. They're not the only program that is, is cheating or, you know, um, any, committing violations, what I'll say. But I think that the way they went about this and making sure that they had like their ducks in a row beforehand, and so they were not going to be responsible for a twelve million dollar buyout. You saw them do like the the, the freeze um, or a hiring freeze, like for assistance and all that kind of stuff. Besides Kevin Steele, I, I think that they have done as best, like, as good of a job as they could have uh, given the circumstances. And also, this finally gets them out of the Pruitt era. Like like he's been bad. I mean, he, like he, that six game win streak that he had to end last year. Um, and I guess like seven overall, if you wrap it into this year. Eight overall. Eight overall. Was it eight? Year, okay. So, yeah, two games to start the year. Even with that, he still was the had the third worst tenure as a head coach in program history, dating back to World War One. So I think they, they needed to get rid of him. I think they were excited to get rid of him, and they got their opportunity. Tennessee making this move and being a former and Pruitt's clean house sort of sweep, you could say that it goes back to 116 days ago. 116 days ago was Philip Fulmer um, making the announcement, well, Tennessee made the announcement that Philip Fulmer and Jeremy Pruitt had agreed to that extension, the now infamous extension, which was set to keep him in Knoxville through the 2025 season. I mean, laughable because college football coaches getting extended doesn't really mean a whole lot as much, but it's still upped his annual pay and it's still up that buyout. Now, everybody kind of saw the writing on the wall. Just last month, Philip Fulmer, last month was comparing Jeremy Pruitt to Johnny Majors and saying their starts were similar. And that justified patience for Jeremy Pruitt because we've seen Johnny Majors go through this. Of course, he ignored the elephant in the room, which was his program had lost six consecutive games by double digits, which it hadn't done in its 191-year history, whatever it was, Um, since 1891, whatever it was, 129-year history. 191 would be a ridiculous uh, number of years. That would be a long time. That would be a long time. You could say that it goes back those 116 days, but... This still all goes, everything goes back to 2017. Everything. This whole deal with John Curry and what started at Tennessee, this series of bad decisions, which I'm not going to sit here today and say, oh, Tennessee should have hired Greg Schiano. I don't know if Greg Schiano would have been good at Tennessee. I really don't. I think Greg Schiano is perfectly fitted for Rutgers and maybe not much else. So I'm not going to sit here and, and say that Tennessee fans were so stupid to get Greg Schiano fired because Jeremy Pruitt didn't work out. I just don't voice when you, when you do this. I, like, sorry, sorry. Okay, we'll move on. We'll move on from the voice. We'll move on from the voice. That's not my, uh, that's my, like, people who criticize Vault yeah. Twitter. Old man yelling at Cloud, yelling at Vault Twitter voice. There you go. Okay, that makes sense. I I think this still all goes back to 2017 and the, the search that unfolded where it was so public how many guys turned this down. It wasn't just that we saw the likes of Mike Leach and Greg Schiano kind of get the rug taken out from under them and realize that they didn't really even have a job to accept. It was that we heard the likes of Mike Gundy and Dave Doring turn down this job when, you know, even Scott Frost like didn't have any interest whatsoever. And... Fulmer comes in at the 11th hour and conducts this search for Jeremy Pruitt, which at the time, I think Tennessee fans more than anything else were just excited to be done yeah. with this process. And and it's almost like when you've done something, I don't know, if you've done something around the house or you've dealt with a hassle with your insurance company, whatever it is, you just get to a point where you say to yourself, I want to be done with this thing. I want to stop waking up every single day and not knowing what the future holds. And I think Tennessee fans got to that point with Pruitt. Now, they had moments where it looked like Pruitt was going to rise above those expectations. You can go back to 2018, year one, winning on the road against a ranked Auburn team. You beat yeah. Kentucky like a drum. I mean, Kentucky was good. That was Kentucky's best season in the last 40 years. And they beat them like a drum. But for the most part... Pruitt and his success as a head coach was so limited in some of the big picture issues of coaching staff turnover and the quarterback situation were signs that this was someone who was not ready for the opportunity that he was given back in 2017. He didn't really, 
ever show that he was the guy that was going to take Tennessee to those heights that it had not been to in the post-Philip Fulmer era. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think, you know, I, I think you're spot on with how most of this, like, transpired and, and, all, and how we got here. Um, you know, and, and, like, I feel like when you get a new coach at any program, there's, like, this kind of, like, sense of, like, relief or, you know, definitely optimism and excitement for, like, something new. I don't know if that's exactly the feeling that's going to be in Knoxville right now because, like you said, it's the fifth coach in 12 years there, which is just so much turnover. And I think when you look at 2017, what really, really hurt is it like the losses with Derek Dooley, um, the stuff with Butch Jones and the five star hearts and, and Champions of Life, and you know even the, even the embarrassing stuff with Kiffin. That it all, I think, almost like was was. I think that's like honestly less embarrassing than how the coaching search went. Like, like just parading in, you know, what was it, a total of like 10, 10 coaches that they reportedly interviewed? And, and big names. It was a lot. And, and then like, it, but the Dave Dorn thing, I remember when the Dave Dorn thing happened specifically, I was like, oh man, he turned that down for yeah. NC State. I think that was such like a, a black eye and just a public embarrassment from like where, that's a very proud program with a lot of good reasons to be like proud of that program. But when you are the, the front and center of, you know, especially when we have social media now, the front and center of just being the butt of the joke and, and being looked down on and laughed at, I think that did a lot of damage to just the perception of the program. And you look at what Pruitt was able to do, like from a recruiting standpoint, he was able to, to kind of build a little bit of momentum off of last season and, and try to, you know, it seemed like things were at least shifting or they were turning the corner somewhat. Um, but when you do stuff like you, you brought up like the, the six losses by double digits, which had never happened, um, his overall record, 16 and 19, like I told you, is the third worst since World War One. 0 and 9, though. 0 and 9 against Bama, Florida, and Georgia with eight of those nine losses by 20 points or more. And I think the thing Bad. that really did him in, like, well, besides the recruiting violations, but when you look at what do you always bring up? Like, the, the people you're responsible for. Like, the ADs, like, who's the coach they hired? Like, the head coaches, who are the assistants they hired? When you try to make a splash move and bring in somebody like Jim Chaney, and pay him $1.6 million to run the offense. And then you look at their numbers, and, and they never finished in his three years there, not Cheney, but, but Pruitt, they never finished better than 11th in the conference in, in scoring, and they never finished better than 11th in, uh, in yards per game as well, which I know that's not like the biggest indicator of how good the offense was, but there weren't a lot of good indicators for that offense being good. Pruitt was a flawed head coach, but his inability to – have any sort of offensive clue, I, I think was part of this. And I still I still think the quarterback situation contributed to what Tennessee became down the stretch. That was a team that we criticized over and over again for collapsing in the second half of, of games. And the number of, you know, they were outscored by 108 points in the second half in that six game losing streak. That's an average of 18 points per game per second half that they're getting outscored in. It's just an absurd thing. But the quarterback stuff, you know, you you hire somebody like Jim Chaney in hopes that he's going to be able to maximize what is at least a respectable amount of SEC talent. Right. I mean, that's never been in question. We've talked about the rise of the offensive line. They, they had more than capable skill players, Ty Chandler, of course. And, and I think that, you know, now that he's gone, that's a different conversation. But... Um, I, I think you look at this situation and it still has to be partially because Pruitt had no idea what he was doing with the quarterback situation. No. And you saw time and time again that that team lost interest with Jared Garantano out there. Yeah. And a team becomes so defeated when it sees its quarterback not give them a chance. And we've talked about that before of how can you continue to go out there and present this belief that you have a chance to win a game when you know that your quarterback can only take you so far, and he's going to make that mistake that's going to just kill your chances. And Pruitt just, for whatever reason, continued to dig his feet in even more until it was too late at the end of the year. And then he complains about not getting these guys reps. And you can't get Harrison Bailey meaningful reps. Buddy, I don't, I don't want to hear about that late in the season when you right. had all this time to be getting him reps, and you didn't do that. He mismanaged the quarterback situation. That's part of it. I think it gets magnified more so in 2020, 2021, when we look at the way that offense is played in this sport. And that's certainly contributed to it. 
But the staff turnover and the fact that Jeremy Pruitt did not have a single member of his original staff currently locked into that same role two and a half years in. Yeah. Two and a half years in. That's startling. Four games into the 2020 season, he's out firing his defensive line coach, his co-defensive coordinator, yeah. Jim, Jimmy Brumbaugh, who he had just hired. And we're like, wait, what? Tennessee's only two and two. This isn't like uh, two weeks left in the season. And one of those losses is to Georgia on the road. <laughs> right. It just weird stuff like that with Pruitt where I just don't ever think he got it. I just don't ever think he got it. No, and I think that, you know, it's it's like how do you want to look at this from like which part is is not only unacceptable but like I guess the most unacceptable because you know I brought up like the numbers against Florida, Georgia and and Bama and to be fair most teams in the conference have similar numbers to that, right? Like against those three teams. Those are like three really good teams and programs especially in the last 3 years. Um minus Florida with, <laughs> with McElwain's last year, but um when you look at like those losses, then you then you look at like the Georgia State loss, it, this roller coaster that he was on, where you had this horrible loss to Georgia State that you paid him nine hundred fifty thousand dollars to play and you lose by double digits, that was almost forgotten about until this season when you know it kind of the same types of issues that they they had at the start of the twenty nineteen season kind of reared their head again in in twenty twenty and. For me, the more he talked, and I hate to say this because he's a nice guy and he was fun at media days because of how, like, this is, for lack of better words, this is going to sound like derogatory, but like how simple he was with his responses. Like there was no coach speak. It was just like, you know, kind of shooting from the hip and just a, a country boy saying what was on his mind. So I just feel like the more he talked as this season went on, the the deeper that grave was that he was digging. He couldn't talk his way out of anything either. And even after the Alabama game, oh, where God. You, you lose by 31 points, and you say that the gap is, is closing. Yeah, you can't say that. What, what gap are you talking about? The gap. It's, like it, the it's actual, still there. The actual store, because they I think they're going out of business. That might be J. Crew. I don't know. Oh, oh, that's not good. Um, that's that's going to impact a lot of people yeah. probably in the state of Tennessee. So that's also significant. I, I just I, I look at some of these post-game joke. comments. Oh, okay. All right. You have me scared. I, I have a sweater from Gap, from The Gap, but not, not too much other stuff from Gap. I, I look at some of the stuff he said, and you can connect the dots after the fact. It's always easier to look back at those moments of when you were, when you realized that a coach didn't understand it. I don't know if Pruitt definitively had that because we really were in support of the message that he gave after that Georgia game in year one. Yeah. Where they lose that game 38 to 12 or whatever. And he's crying in the post-game press conference. He is emotional. He's talking about how much progress his team has made and they're buying in and he's seeing this. And then what, whatever happened, where, where was the development with this team? Is that just a result of you not being able to keep the same staff on board and you not actually being able to develop these players? Or is that a result of you just not having a clue ever and you thinking what progress looks like is actually much, much different? And you might think you have an idea of progress, but you know, you're just seeing this based on a very small sample size. And Tennessee still ended up being much further away from an elite program, but you know, it is still baffling to think eight game winning streak, longest winning streak active in college football for that Georgia game, halftime lead, halftime yeah. lead. <clears throat> and then how quickly things turn. I don't know if this happens in a normal year in which we have non-conference play and there are a couple of those potential buffers. Get Harrison Bailey some more reps. Oh, I slipped into that voice again. I'm sorry. I'm well, done. I'm but, really done but with you're that like, voice. You're right with like the, the like, and this is what I, what I was kind of alluding to earlier when I said the more he talked, the more trouble he got himself into because when, when you talk about late in the year, we haven't been able to get these guys reps. We haven't been able to get see this guy. We've got we did a freshman practice last week, and there's 25 guys that could be playing on our two deep or whatever. It's like, whoa, dude! Like, I understand the pandemic. I understand practices have been have been, you know, not as frequent, and and you don't have as much time to be like hands on and face to face, all that stuff. You can't be in the season and just like discovering that you have all these other players that could be playing. Like, you found loose change in a in an effing couch. Like, what? Like, what? Like, what are you talking about? So, and the excuses that he was making, I don't think he even realized that they were all reflective and and fell on him. 
Like, I mean, he was responsible for all of those things. And, you know, like the quarterback situation, maybe don't trot out Jared Garantano, but also stop rotating everyone. Like, like, yeah. it, like it, it, that, it, that kind of frequency. And I just, I don't understand why he ever did that. But yeah, like I said, like the, I think the, the more, the further this went on, because I, I thought his job would be safe, especially with what we heard from Philip Fulmer. But the more this went, or the longer this went on, and the more he was able to almost, I don't want to say defend his team, but explain what's going on and how he thinks they, they have made progress. And I don't want to say that he doesn't, he's not, he doesn't have the ability to see progress um, because he's a, he's a phenomenal defensive coach and he's been around football his whole life. So I'm assuming he knows the game well enough to, to know that that wasn't that much progress. But I don't know. They had what I thought was going to be with the best offensive line in the country um, going into the season, like so much talent there. Two running backs that were really at the start of the year looked great, and then just were kind of underutilized almost like for for most of the season it seemed like. And I don't know, just the whole thing with Jared Garantana. If you're going to go three and seven, I mean, hell, man, do it with a with a freshman. Do like do what South Carolina did at the end of the year, where sure you're getting your brains beat in, but like, man, you see that one throw that Luke Doty had, and like keeping the fans interested and keeping them engaged and invested. He just didn't do a good job of that. And, and I tell you what, the other part of this, it like. You talk about like the the recruiting issues. I I almost don't even blame Jeremy Pruitt for this. I, I really do wonder. And this is like I'm not blaming anyone else, but I wonder with, with the people he was around and the and the coaches he like kind of grew up through the coaching ranks with. I don't think he he knew a different way. Like Philip Fulmer, he was around like in the in the '90s when you know. Everybody, it was like, I don't want to say the Wild Wild West because it wasn't as crazy as that SMU 30 for 30, but it was ridiculous. Like, I mean, people throwing out like $100,000 for players and, and there's a whole book about it. Um, I, you know, Rush Probst, that's where he got his first start. So from like a, from an ethical standpoint, I just wonder if if he didn't, like you talk about the oversight and negligence to see like what was going on. I wonder if that played into it as well. I don't know how much the recruiting stuff even we're going to really yeah i yeah. don't know how much it, it really mattered I, I don't know if this was as simple as him being sloppy because i think pruitt would have still been forgiven if he went six and four yeah if he went five and five if these games by that were decided by double digits had been down to the wire games in which tennessee fans could get upset about a call here or there at the end of the, at the end of the game that didn't happen that yeah. didn't happen at all. And instead, we saw somebody who, instead of making progress in year three, and it didn't necessarily have to show up strictly in the win-loss column, but it had to somewhat. Instead of making this progress, he instead was like, what What? What could you have possibly sold to the administration right. this offseason <clears throat> to say, yeah, I'm the guy moving forward. I, I should totally have your trust right now. No, there's... There was not like, oh, I beat Vandy? Cool, man. Cool. I would really hope that you can beat a Vandy team that's barely fielding 55 scholarship players <laughs> at the end of an 0 and 10 season. I really hope Wasn't that, that game you can pretty that close you can in the first Vandy. half. Like, was it Vandy leading with. They had to turn to Henry to O2O to get a special team oh, score yeah. or a, lo- a big special teams play in order to spark the offense in that one. I mean, goodness gracious. This is the type of stuff that I think made it more and more difficult for. The decision makers at Tennessee to justify keeping Jeremy Pruitt right. around. I don't know now what becomes of this job and how much what they've found could, in a way, be self-sabotaging. Because if we're talking about level one violations, which that's what ESPN reported for this, I mean, Ole Miss had 15 level one violations when Hugh Freeze put them on, you know, NCAA investigation. They had the two-year bowl ban, lost of scholarships, all that stuff. I don't know what that means moving forward in terms of their hiring, in terms of their hiring process of if there are athletic directors, which, by the way, that's what they need to hire first before they go after yeah. a coach because Philip Fulmer stepped down. I don't know if that limits the pool for that. I don't know if that then turns around and limits the pool for, for head coaches or how this is valued when we still have a lot of things left to figure out. And it feels like there's still so many moving pieces for all this. Yeah, I mean, you know, and real quick, just to – one last thing about about like how his season played out, especially this year. I think when you really look at where like the I don't want to say the straw that broke the camel's back because that's supposedly the recruiting violations. 
But I think where this thing really finally like went off the rails and, and people were actually comfortable with getting rid of him in the, in the administration, that loss to Kentucky by 27 points, not only did you lose at home for the first time since 1984 to, to Kentucky, but you lost badly. And you did it by just like, you know, what's the definition of insanity? Just doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. How many pick sixes did Garantano have? I think that was kind of like, you know, for lack of better words, I guess like the turning point of when they they started to make this decision. Anyway, but from a from a coaching standpoint now and moving forward and and where they go from here, I you know I think the names they've thrown out are are pretty standard for what we've seen this off season. It's Billy Napier, it's you know Jamie Chadwell and all those guys. I, I don't know. I mean, you you would think that if you're trying to take that job, you don't want to walk into a massive massive violation and and then massive obstacles and uphill battle that in a job that's already been that for about a decade now. And the question becomes Hugh Freeze, given his fallout at Ole Miss, does that then lead Greg Sankey to putting some sort of unofficial block on Tennessee hiring Hugh Freeze? Um, Because if you're under NCAA investigation for recruiting violations, Hire a guy who famously had a, a show cause and put uh, a Power Five university um, through, you know, essentially two or three years of just crap after he left it. Um, yeah, it's kind of hard to to justify that. Obviously, Tennessee fans will get on board with with anything like that. And they right. would, there are a lot of them who would love Hugh Freeze, but this job, it, I don't know if it if it. If it has that same sort of muster, that same sort of value, when you saw the Pruitt thing play out, and even if you are a coach who gets an extension, like Pruitt got, where Pruitt was probably feeling really good, and that apparently that extension was agreed upon after, right after year two, but they waited because of the pandemic to announce it. He didn't want to, he didn't even take a pay raise in that first year of the deal because of the pandemic, all those different things. Right. But what this job becomes moving forward now. I don't know. I don't know if they go kind of similar to Ole Miss with Matt Luke and just stick with Kevin Steele for a couple years because Billy Napier and Jamie Chadwell are going to be the two obvious, the two obvious candidates in addition to Hugh Freeze, all of Tennessee ties. Billy Napier and Jamie Chadwell, both Tennessee natives. And that's the interesting thing of would they decide, hey, I'll, I'll take on whatever sort of risk is associated here. This I'm in it for the long haul. If I have the commitment of, of you know of all the decision makers here, and you give me time, I'll come do this for a state that I once called home. I don't know because I think that sell is a lot tougher if we're talking about level one violations and we're talking about potential bull bans because that just makes it a grind for what you're going to have to deal with recruiting and from a roster depth standpoint in the SEC there's a good chance that you can get kicked in the teeth for a little bit, depending on what ultimately happens with these violations. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, level one violations is a, quote, severe breach of conduct. Uh, and I'm on the website right now, and it says, um, any violation that provides or is intended to provide a substantial or extensive recruiting or competitive advantage. Um, I think if, if you're going to take this job, and what Tennessee needs to do in general, for, just for themselves, is... You need to sit down and really think about like how much of an undertaking is this going to be? Like how how much of a rebuild do we need to invest in, right? Like because it's almost like like having like a, an older car, right? That that you you know if you if you start trying to get things that are like things start going wrong with cars, like the engine, you know, carburetor. I don't know anything about cars, but you know what I'm saying. Like things start going wrong, the older a car gets. If you're not taking care of it and getting like stuff fixed like correctly or taken to the right place. Or if you're just doing stuff like putting band-aids over it, you know what I mean? Um, it's kind of what this program has done to itself over and over and over again. And I think it's, it's, they've never been able to truly fix it because they haven't really gotten to the bottom of it or, or sat there and been like very honest with themselves. Like how many years is this going to take if we want to do an actual complete rebuild? Bruce Feldman threw out a name that I, I'd love to get your opinion on um, because he's apparently he, He's apparently in the process of becoming uh, Alabama's offensive coordinator, Bill O'Brien. Given what Bill O'Brien did at Penn State in the wake of their Jerry Sandusky fallout and all of that, the grind that he had to deal with and the two-year 
rebuild job that he did at Penn State because people forget James Franklin doesn't have the success at Penn State in 2016 if not for Bill O'Brien coming in and cleaning up the way that he did. Bill O'Brien at Tennessee? Is that if you heard that and, and that he was instead not going to become Alabama's offensive coordinator and was instead going to become Tennessee head coach, what would be your your initial reaction to I that? Mean, I mean, like I, I didn't think his name was going to be brought up as the offensive coordinator at Bama, <laughs> so like I would still be surprised, but I guess not as much since he already had his name and you know was reportedly hired at Bama. But on the surface, it does not seem like a fit, right? It just it doesn't seem like Bill O'Brien going to college or back to college after being the head coach of the Texans. And then you see all the stuff that's going on with the Texans right now anyway. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like he definitely did a good job at Penn state of, of like, you know, trying to, I don't want to say rebuild, but, but keep that program afloat um, at a time where, you know, I don't think that they should have had a program for, for several years. And he did a really good job kind of fighting through that. And it's obviously not the same type of stuff at Tennessee, but it requires a lot of the same type of effort from a coach. So maybe he'd be a good fit, um, but it's just a big undertaking. I mean, like, you you really, like, this is like a, a job that would be perfect for, like, a Coach O and what he did at LSU. Like, like somebody that really, really cares and this matters to and is not going to use this as a stepping stone, is not going to, you know, um, try to build their own thing and, and you cannot do the champions of life shit again it just cannot happen it has to be somebody that is committed to the university of tennessee um moving forward peyton manning is reportedly going just to let be peyton heavily do it. In, involved say it again just let peyton do it <laughs> hey our good friend barrett's lee suggested the idea of letting vol twitter do it just have him call oh, plays incredible eric gray would get 45 carries per game if he's Deemed eligible. I probably shouldn't assume that he's going to be on a Tennessee roster next year, but yeah, that's the, the other thing. The transfer portal is going to be out of Ooh, control. And like, yeah. and you look at guys like Big Cat Bryant, the, the defense been from Auburn. He just went yeah. to to Tennessee. One thing we're not discussing. You know who the interim, or I guess not interim. It's, it's, they said active coach is right now. Kevin Steele. Kevin Steele. Like, I just wonder if this was some incredibly elaborate, not a ruse, but a, mm. but the plan is all coming to fruition because, you know, he, he was accused of trying to have a coup down there in, uh, at Auburn during their their um, coaching search and trying to get rid of Gus. This couldn't have worked out better for him. You know what? I'm just going to, this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but if Kevin Steele organized two different yeah. coups at significant SEC programs if that's what it took in order for him to get a head coaching gig, uh, you know what? I tip my cap to him because yeah. the guy, the guy accomplished what he needed to get done. Two coups and man, two, two, not one, but two coups. That's that's a hard thing to do. Yeah, he, he must really be good behind the behind closed doors, <laughs> being able to shake the right hands, kiss the right babies, because it's not an easy thing to do. No, I don't know. I don't know if Kevin Steele's going to be the guy there. I don't know if he's going to be considered the long term fit. All I know is that when it was announced that Kevin Steele was going to Tennessee, everybody's like, say what now? Right. Um, that's probably not good for Jeremy Pruitt. Wouldn't think it would be. Yeah. So how much of this is already in the works? You know what I mean? Like, like again, they had been working towards this if they were going to be able to not pay his his buyout for, for a while. So maybe, I mean, you know, maybe this was the plan all along. I wonder how many SEC programs in the future – if Tennessee doesn't get hammered by violations here, hammered, and I'm talking hammered, in my opinion, is is a bull ban, right? Oh. I, I think when you lose, when you lose, when you lose a postseason game, that's like the NCAA coming down on you, right? Sure. Uh, we we called it the hammer when you know Mizzou got hit with that last year, and we didn't feel that Mizzou was worthy of that, but that was still the NCAA dropping the hammer. Depending on what this punishment looks like at Tennessee. If all of a sudden SEC programs who have a buyout that they desperately don't want to pay, maybe they're still paying a buyout from a different coach. You know, Tennessee is just finally getting over paying the the rest of that Butch Jones buyout, which was the majority of a $9 million buyout. You know, we know that Jim McElwain was uh, able to come up with a settlement at Florida. I think his settlement was like seven and a half million bucks. I think Will Muschamp 
had a six and a half million dollar buyout. It was somewhere in that range. Shameless plug. I had a story about all the SEC coaching uh, head coaching buyouts during the Nick Saban era at Alabama. The staggering numbers that SEC programs have spent on head coaching buyouts. Go check that out on a, on SaturdayDownSouth.com. But if SEC programs look at that moving forward and say, is there a way to get out of this ridiculous eight-figure buyout? If we can come up with the right thing internally and justify that and justify firing a coach with cause, because we talk a lot about these coaching contracts and how ridiculous they become. Oh, my gosh. Jeremy Pruitt, he apparently had like 30 30. different things in his contract that could get him fired with cause. I didn't realize that there were that many. I didn't know that till today. If you're signing a contract and there are 30 things listed out, like, hey, we can fire you for all of these things, you know, maybe it's time to take a step back and be like, I don't think they want me. Like, like I mean, that is, when you're covering your, your ass that extensively, um, you know, that that kind of speaks, uh, you know, I don't say volumes, but a little bit of volume. Um, yeah, like, I think somebody brought this up on Fine Bomb the other day, and I think it was just like a fan saying how, ridiculous it is i think that all these coaches like at, at georgia and bama and at, you know a few other places that have these like really extensive analyst programs right like these former coaches and how it's kind of creating like a competitive imbalance and blah blah blah. and they need to do something to to outlaw these all these former head coaches that can just sit here and, and collect their their uh their buyout checks while they're getting like 35 grand to be a quote-unquote analyst I'd say what the easiest way to fix this problem, and you talk about like moving forward, like if they can figure out a way to, you know, find a loophole legally and not have to pay these buyouts, the best way to do it, stop extending coaches' contracts after they win the Outback Bowl or the Belk Bowl or whatever. Oh, they don't even have the Belk Bowl anymore. But you know what I'm saying? Like stop extending these these coaches' contracts with such huge contracts, first off, and then also over kind of mediocre stuff. Really mediocre stuff because even if you said we need to make sure that Jeremy Pruitt, um, no, I, I'm not even going to say that. Tennessee wouldn't have been able to stop. This is the most crazy scenario. So I'm just throwing out there, throwing this out there, because if this was something that Philip Fulmer and those decision makers had to process, I still think that this is crazy. If Philip Fulmer had one percent of his brain thinking. I need to make sure Jeremy Pruitt doesn't leave for Alabama and replace Nick Saban. I need to get him under a more significant long-term contract and build off of this momentum. Even if you thought that in the back of your mind, All right, and before anyone of your yells mind, at the, their steering wheel or their computer or whatever you're listening to with, that was not that far-fetched. That, within the last year, within the last year... Feinbaum said, said in 2019. Yeah, yeah, 2019. There was odds that came out on from odds makers wherein he was something like a six to one favorite. And he I think he was number four or five on that list. I just pulled it up. But go back. It, it really wasn't that crazy of a thing. So if that's in the back of your mind, making this decision about an extension of we need to make sure that our guy's locked in place. Alabama's going to hire whoever it wants to to replace right. Nick Saban. And it's not going to let Tennessee get in the way of making that happen. It's not like Tennessee's putting up a wall for Jeremy Pruitt and saying, oh, yeah, see, we showed you this kind of loyalty. Jeremy Pruitt wants to go to Alabama. Alabama's going to make sure that they can get Jeremy Pruitt. So this belief that you had to extend Jeremy Pruitt. Obviously, we can look back now after the fact and see how absurd it was. But even at the time... And I think this needs to be the policy moving forward. We need to continue to try and be more skeptical of some of these extensions because yeah. it's not just as simple as recruiting. When you're getting a buyout bumped that much for someone with two years of FBS head coaching experience who has gotten slaughtered by his rivals, I don't think you can sit there and justify it just as a, oh, we need to build on momentum sort of thing. It's ridiculous any way you want to look at it. Yeah, and you know, hindsight's, hindsight's always twenty twenty anyway. Um, so it's easy for us to, to, you know, say these things now. At the same time, you know, like finishing out a year with six wins, there wasn't a single person in the country that wasn't really impressed by it, right? Um, so I, I get it. I, I get like that wasn't as mediocre as, as, you know, as some other extensions we've seen. But at the same time, like 
take a step back and look at some of the competition they were playing at the time and and like also how detrimental this is to the future of your program like whoever is signing these checks at some point like like who, who was going to lure away Jeremy Pruitt last year right like right, exactly. like like in the saving thing that it's not completely far fetched but i don't think i would hope that that was not factored into to Fulmer's decision but i don't think there was going to be a program last year that was going to try and lure him away when you really take a look at it, you have, I mean, you have to be brutally honest with yourself and, and how this is going to affect the program long term, and also why, why what happened, like or who you beat, like that matters. Like, yeah, sure, six wins is great. Against what competition? Like, sorry, Jeremy, like we can't give you a boost. Maybe we can throw in some more incentive clauses if you do it again next year, like whatever. We can we can up that or give you a bonus, but we're not going to give you an extension where we're going to be you know financially responsible for for what like $12 million. I don't remember what the original buyout was. I'm blanking on what that was. But the irony is that if Tennessee had simply stood pat and said, we're going to let Jeremy Pruitt coach through year three under the same contract terms that we agreed to initially, they wouldn't have been put in this weird spot where they could potentially have uh, a national, you know, embarrassing NCAA investigation in which they get scholarships prohibited. You know, they get scholarship production, put on probation, potential bull ban, all the, of those. I mean, that would things. be hammered, I think, from the NCAA. Yes, I agree. I agree. But with level one, you just kind of never know with some of that stuff, and it's it's often open for interpretation from the NCAA. And I, I oh, gave God. up predicting what the NCAA is going to do a long time ago. But if they had just stood, you know, just stuck with what what his current contract terms were, and if his buyout had been like I don't know, six seven million bucks after year three, and instead they have to pay that instead of oh man, how do we get out of this twelve point nine million dollar buyout? What, what's the best way to possibly do that? I, we're having a different conversation yeah. right now, and Tennessee is just able to have a normal wild crazy search that goes off the rails instead of whatever has been unfolding for the last two months. For real, yeah, and and you know, and now it's the off season, so it's going to be, if, you know, at, at the top of the the news because there's not much else going on. So I, I tell you what, they they are probably fortunate. Um, with the NCAA stuff, they're probably really fortunate that they beat Mizzou this year because we know, if we know anything about the NCAA, they hate Missouri. Absolutely hate Missouri. Good point. So mm-hmm. that'll probably be used with some sort of, you know, positive uh, reaction, I think, when they, when they make their overall um, punishment. So that's good news. Who do you want for Tennessee if you're a Tennessee fan? I know that's tough. Go back to Marler buying the Tennessee hat oh, at that's whatever sporting goods store that you were at. Go back to that moment where you were very briefly a Tennessee fan and try and imagine what the best head coaching fit would be for this program. I honestly don't know. I, I think it like freeze, I don't think would be I get how it, like the optics of it wouldn't look great maybe and all that kind of stuff, but if we're already here, right? Like if we're already here in terms of we're going to be on probation. We're going to be dealing with sanctions, whatever. If we're already there, then make the best of it. And I think the best of it is hiring somebody like Hugh Freeze and somebody that cares about that program is and is going to stick around to see, uh, to, you know, see it out, like and, and right the ship. So Hugh Freeze would be at the top of my list. Um, outside of that, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I would take you know a Jamie Chadwell or Billy Napier because. Like from a recruiting standpoint, that is going to matter so much, so much, uh, into how this program is going to get rebuilt. So I don't know, man. Like I, I really, I thought about that earlier, and I was, I sat down for like, you know, thirty minutes before we started recording, trying to really like rack my brain for that, and then look at who, what names are being thrown out there. It's I, I, I don't know. Like I'm at a loss. It's in, and part of that is because we saw what happened with the last coaching search, right? Yeah. I'm struggling to come up with answers without knowing how this is all going to unfold because if it ends up being sort of a slap on the wrist, then that changes the type of candidate that I would want to get. If we knew for certain that Greg Sankey had no problem with Hugh Freeze coming back to Tennessee, ironic as it would be, or coming back to the SEC, I should say, and taking the Tennessee job, ironic as it would be, I would still be perfectly okay with that if I'm a Tennessee fan because I know what he's capable of from an offensive standpoint. And 
let's let's be honest. Tennessee is what it is at this point. Right. It's not. It's not in any sort of business to stick its nose up at, at anyone at this point with with those sort of character issues in background. But it is strange to see that the timing of this happens to coincide with the, like all the top candidates have some sort of tie to Tennessee. Right. <laughs> I, I don't know if that if that had anything to do with that. If that's just a coincidence, it's wild. Yeah. Like Hugh Freeze decided to come back to Tennessee, and if he got the okay from all parties involved, and he decided to bring Malik Willis back, let's just say that would be a content machine, and um, Malik Willis would probably be, what, like seventh, eighth best quarterback in the SEC next year? Maybe, Maybe yeah. I'm bored with that. I mean, and I'll tell you what, there's, there is one person that I think would make a, a decent amount of sense here, and you're going to hate this, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. Um, I, I'm trying to think of, it, it's got to be a coach that, like I said, is going to be committed to it, has been in a situation before where it's like, all right, you're not walking into, like, the, the cover's bare. Like, you're not walking into a great situation. Somebody maybe familiar with the recruiting territories there and the state of Tennessee in general, James Franklin. I know what you're going to say. Yep. James Franklin, because, like, what he did at Vanderbilt, and, and the only other person I could think of, and this is probably not even, like, a realistic option, but, like, Mike Shula, um, who was the coach of Bama in, like, the, you know, early to mid-2000s, and also was the offensive coordinator for the Panthers for years. I mean, that program stayed on probation when he was there. Like, or it was coming off probation um, when he got there. So he has a little familiarity with that. It also played in the SEC. Maybe a guy like that. I don't know. But I, I just – they they absolutely have to not be – like, have this decision influenced in any way. You know, and no offense to the fans, but they, they cannot influence this decision of who to hire – it has to come from from the administration, and it has to be what's best for the university down the road, not a quick fix. I don't think Franklin's going to Tennessee. Probably not. But in theory, I mean, getting a splashy candidate like that, obviously, you know, you talk about a way to overcome what's been a pretty ugly few months of headlines for Tennessee. That would be a way to do it, of course, but we've said that in the past, and that doesn't ultimately matter, and that's not what's going to turn your program around. And you know, you can go back to pretty much any point during the post-Fulmer era in which that's been a consensus thought among Tennessee fans, and it has always gone wrong. And there's a reason that you're sitting in this position, hiring your fifth full-time head coach mm-hmm. in 12 years. And I, I don't know what the future looks like for Tennessee immediately. I know that there's no way that they're competing with the likes of Florida and Georgia next year. I can't sit here and, and say that they got anywhere close to that with the offseason that they've had, with all the roster attrition that they've had to deal with, and the fact that, I mean, they, they gutted house there. They gutted house completely with with what they're going to try and build, and that only suggests that they're going to have more roster moves to, to try and you know overcome, and that's going to be a really, really difficult thing to navigate through in but this league. But if they commit to that, like if everyone from jump knows like the situation, knows what the expectations like, you know should be, that's fine. Like like that's good that they they cleaned house and all that kind of stuff. Especially from from a coaching standpoint, get get the staff that got you here out right. Um, complete overall, fine, but make sure you're committed to seeing that out. That that's the biggest thing. I mean, good for Tennessee. Tennessee. Like, I mean, like Pruitt was not doing well, and like, as much as I hate Vol Twitter, right? Those fans deserve better than than what they've been getting. Um, I will say, makes you wonder why Butch Jones was fired. Um, the other person that could be a good coach for this, because he, I don't even think it's far fetched to say. I, I'm, I'm barely kidding when I say this. If they hired Clay Travis to be their head coach, I don't even think Vol like like Vol Nation or Vol Twitter or whatever you want to call it would even be upset at this point. I'm trying to think of who would upset Tennessee fans the most. Um, Dan Wolken hiring Dan Wolken <laughs> as head coach, yeah, would be the single single worst thing. Great hire, man. Seriously, um, no, I, I think that the Tennessee right now is just in a. A very odd predicament, and it's one that we'll find out a lot over the course of the next few weeks here. Hopefully, they'll have an athletic director in there soon. Philip Fulmer wants the next athletic director to be able to make this hire, and it's not going to come down to him. But Or it's like man, a camp weird. nowhere situation, and just let the players decide what's going on, and they just figure it out. You know what I mean? Like, just, Have you ever seen Camp Nowhere? Do you get that reference? Mm-mm. Oh, nope. man. Fantastic movie from the 90s. But these kids 
uh, pretended they were all going to summer camp and then took all their parents' money they were going to pay for summer camp with and then went and made their own summer camp. So do something like that, Tennessee. You know, create, create from within. That sounds like a mix between Hook and Heavyweights. It was kind of like Accepted. That movie from the college oh, okay. where they made up the yeah, college. Yeah, yeah. Just do that. Yeah. Jonah Hill, starring yeah. role in that movie. People forget. Um, yeah, so in other words, we're going to have a lot more to talk about with Tennessee. Um, if they're conducting a true full coaching search uh, at this point, who knows? Who knows what the reaction will be from prospective candidates and all of that, but... If things are about to get weird. Things are always about. To, things are always just on the brink of getting weird, uh, at Rocky Top. That that is for sure. So, um, we're gonna have a lot more on this subject. We're gonna have a lot more catching up on some of the things that we haven't necessarily dug into as much over the course of the last week or so since the national championship happened. We're still trying to figure out what exactly our schedule is going to look like throughout the off season. It's. I, I know that it's going to be different than what we were doing during the pandemic when we. We're recording three podcasts in a week and we're doing an adjustment more every week and stuff. We still want to be able to to do fun stuff like that, fun different stuff throughout the off season, but still kind of just hammering out some of the details. So we'll have a full update on that moving forward. But yeah, any other closing thoughts on, on Tennessee? Anything that Tennessee fans right now, what's, what's the, the biggest emotion that Tennessee fans should be feeling going into what's just going to be a, a very, very weird next few weeks? Optimism. Mm, love it. Love it. That's, that's what Tennessee fans should have every single January. One would expect. All right. Marler, um, Butch Jones, Brady Hoke, John Curry, anybody else there? Yeah. I, I don't think, yeah, John Curry would probably upset Tennessee fans. But Dan Wolfman would take it. Yeah. Yeah. What do we need to remember? It might mean too much, guys. Talk to you guys soon. Right.